Previously on Kenya's Blueprint. This time frame witnessed a growing pressure for economic reform by donor agencies. Also, some influential politicians and farmers started pushing for an end to KCC's monopoly. If you don't have a stall, and not only a stall, an acceptable one meeting our bare minimum, don't engage in the sale. Turn that radio off. They know very well you cannot afford to put up stalls, let alone having one that meets their standards. Clearly, they don't want us to trade. Clearly, the high-flying eagle has its wings starting to be clipped. What next for this big entity? On episode two, we cover how things looked in the 1990s to later years. Did the empire crumble or did it forge on? This is Kenya's blueprint. The characters and events depicted in this audio are fictitious and a trial of reenactments. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. The previous episode concluded the 1980s era. So, on to the 90s. 1992 marked an end of an era for KCC's 60 years monopoly. The milk market was opened. Anybody would directly reach out to customers. We had two groups getting into the milk market to compete with the incumbent KCC. These were the small-scale milk traders and formal private processors. The former bought raw milk from farmers and sold it to consumers, which led to the collapse of marketing cooperatives during the 1990s. Poorer customers were also a contributing factor, as they preferred the option of cheaper raw milk provided by the small-scale milk traders rather than the more expensive pasteurized milk. Others, it is alleged, preferred the taste of unprocessed milk. In Kenya, most of the milk is drunk in tea and coffee, and Kenyans habitually boil milk for these uses, hence reducing the need for pasteurization. This was the effect of the small-scale milk traders on the existence of KCC and the effects on the dairy sector. In the second group, the formal private processors found it hard to compete with the informal milk vendors. By the year 2005, there were 45 registered processors. The first of these were commercial farms such as Brookside, Delamere, and Delara. These new players also found it hard to compete with the informal milk vendors. Most of the private processors lacked the economies of scales that KCC, in theory, could achieve. Through their representation on the board of KDB, the informal sector not included, and through advertising campaigns, the fight to restrict friendly milk vendors was getting fierce. Good afternoon everyone. As you all are aware, this is a crisis meeting. We will definitely carry out our weekly meetings this Friday as scheduled, but today we address the ever-growing competition from small-scale traders. I already shared the agenda, so let's get on with the meeting. First off, we will have a brief of the situation from the Nairobi Head of Marketing. Okay, thank you for attending at such short notice. As you are aware, the small traders are... From 1993 to 1995, the price of milk rose from Kenya shillings 6 to Kenya shillings 14. This was as a result of competition in the milk market. 
which in turn led to higher farm gate prices. Cost sharing was then introduced. This was meant for inputs and services, which was caused by the reduction of subsidies in the late 1980s. For farmers, this made them unable to respond to higher prices due to problems accessing inputs and other support services. Price increment had results, some being moderate aided by the liberalization, some being inevitable. One result was increased price volatility for producers. This price increment was in part the inevitable result of replacing an administered pricing system with market competition. The combined capacity of the private processors rose steadily during the 1990s. Forward to 1999, where it registered 500,000 liters a day. A year later, the stats showed a figure of 600,000 liters per day for the private sector capacity. KCC in the same year handled 370,000 liters per day. At times, there was an excessively abundant supply of milk a situation which led to sharp fall in prices and KCC had the capability of turning excess milk into milk powder during times of this glut. The 1990s witnessed KCC's gradual demise. What were some of the contributing factors to this? Delayed payments for milk deliveries by farmers which eroded farmers' confidence in KCC. Therefore, it ended up receiving reduced milk supply from the farmers. This was an initial symptom that was noted at the start of the downward trajectory. Gradual drop was evaluated to be caused by the inefficiency of this entity and internal problems. Regardless of these problems, it remained attractive to farmers because of its elaborate infrastructure. The political hand in the demise. In the years that politicians took charge, the 80s and the 90s, we noticed a few shifts. They influenced the election of representatives without reference to farmers' interests. While cooperative societies had a role in the appointment of directors, influential politicians neglected this and instead appointed those they thought were politically loyal to the government. At one time, those in the board of directors included the then president's family members and political allies. Appointment to the board was not based on someone's knowledge of dairy or cooperative issues. It was based on how close one was to the ruling elite. Those appointed, therefore, used their positions not to better the KCC, but to acquire individual wealth. Their aim was to use their positions to make personal financial gains through supplying goods and services. One director, for instance, gave all security contracts to his private security firm. Another director got a contract to buy toilet papers for about 10 years and cash paid up front. In the late 1990s, there were still other directors who were planning to take over KCC's assets. By 1999, KCC's own directors, the majority representing interest of senior politicians in government, had looted or plundered the company's assets. This halted the company's operations. Poor choices, poor results. One, KCC cannot pay its loans with commercial banks. 2. Debts continue accruing. 3. The company cannot pay the farmers and suppliers of goods and services. 4. Some farmers stopped supplying milk to KCC and shifted their deliveries to new private companies and cooperatives. 5. Legal disputes. For instance, in May 1999, 
it got sued for unpaid deliveries by farmers and suppliers. On the other hand, we had the public demanding those who had brought down KCC be arrested and prosecuted. The government made the arrest of several of its directors, but as the case proceeded, another group of influential farmers and senior politicians allied to the then president organized to develop what they called a rescue operation to get KCC back on its feet. Did these thoughts of having a way out of these problems have any impact? Well, no. A receiver manager was appointed and a board appointed to run the body. In 2000, the receiver issued a tender for the sale of KCC. Influential politicians allied to the government and the ruling party quickly formed a new company, KCC Holdings, claiming that they were the dairy farmers. They submitted a tender to buy the company. Shareholders of the new company included a billionaire Asian businessman who owned a large timber company in which several powerful Kano politicians had an interest. Others included relatives and business associates of other powerful politicians in Kano and in the government. In the end, two companies, Timara Properties Limited and Cherry Hill Limited, owned majority of the shares, which was 90% in KCC Holdings. The remaining 10% was allocated to those who were promoting the new venture. Powerful individuals who included the then president owned these companies. The former president's shares were held in trust in one of these companies by a prominent Nairobi lawyer. Thus, KCC Holdings emerged as a company owned only by a small group of powerful individuals. This individuals controlled the government as well as the politics of privatization of public enterprises. They paid 400 million Kenyan shillings only to acquire the company and in March 2001 renamed it to KCC 2000 Limited. They bought KCC at a low price, yet the value of the assets of KCC was estimated at about 6 billion Kenyan shillings. Reporting live from the KCC headquarters where news just came in that the company is being bought for 400 million Kenya shillings. We are trying to get more details on this developing story. The monopoly that KCC enjoyed in the dairy sector and its elaborate infrastructure attracted powerful elites from the deliberization reforms were introduced in the agricultural sector. The proliferation of small-scale cooperatives and other new private dairy farms that began to compete with KCC provided an opportunity for influential politicians and other business associates to argue for the privatization of KCC. Secondly, politically controlled appointments played a part in contributing to the collapse of the company. For instance, the ruling party elites were appointed directors to represent their interests rather than farmers. And yes, farmers whose opinions mattered were appointed to these boards and other managerial posts, but they were not involved in decision making. Such factors undermined the performance of KCC as a business venture. The rescue operation was initiated for the purpose of individual gain rather than benefits for small-scale farmers who are the majority stakeholders in the cooperative movement. Irony isn't it that the new investors were using the name of farmers or the concept of farming perhaps to milk the farmer's body when the ordinary poor dairy farmers required a rescue plan to get the company back on its feet. So basically political and economic interests intertwined to undermine the growth of KCC. Also, other farmers believed that they were being fought for 
but this was not the case. Their names were just being used. As we conclude episode 2 of this series, few pointers stand out. It is apparent that they used two interrelated approaches to buy the company at a cheap price. They used politics and the law. They had the political influence to lobby in the name of the farmers. They were politically positioned to petition anyone in their endeavor. And since some of them, such as the then president, were large-scale dairy farmers, other farmers believed that they were acting on their behalf. An elaborate legal scheme was designed for the purpose of buying the company. They formed companies to buy KCC. In the new companies, senior people like the then president had their share held in trust by lawyers. This was certainly meant to conceal the real identity of the people who brought down the farmer's body and bought it later at a cheap price. Again, it is interesting that efforts to lobby against these malpractices failed. Some directors were arrested and arraigned in court. Other farmers organized to fight the sale, but they could not raise the required funds to repay the bank. In episode 3, did farmers regain control or the turmoil continued? Next on Kenya's Blueprint. Don't mind whether the new owners are willing to hand it over to us or not. All that I can assure you is that we shall return it to its rightful owners in the next 21 days. Subscribe to this and other shows on acute.co.ke. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other online podcast platforms. Production done by Kevin Ocheng and narration by Timothy Katimu. The references from the University of Nairobi repository research paper, Revitalization of Kenya Cooperative Creameries, The Politics of Policy Reforms in the Dairy Sector in Kenya by Rosemary Atieno and Karuti Kanyiga, an acute media production.